On Sunday mornings, we're in Mark's Gospel, doing a series of sermons we've called Good News in a Bad News World. We live in a world full of bad news, but we rejoice that there is a good news. Uh, The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Saviour of all who trust in him. A fortnight ago, we were in Mark's Gospel and uh, chapter 13, looking at the bulk of the chapter from verse 1 as far as verse 31. And we were thinking together from that passage about what Jesus said about the future. What Jesus said about the future. And how he spoke of two great events. The first was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which then was in the future, but for us is in the past, having happened a long time ago now, back in the year AD 70. The second was in the future then, and is still in the future for us now, what we may variously describe as the end of the world, uh, the return of Christ, and uh, the day of judgment. And uh, we saw how, as Jesus speaks, somewhat uh, in a somewhat uh, intertwined way, Uh, of these two great events, the destruction of the temple uh, and the end of the world, we could see three things. Number one, something would happen, and it did. Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and it happened as he said uh, that it would. Number two, something would happen, and it will In other words, the end of the world, the return of Christ, the day of judgment. It hasn't happened yet, but that doesn't mean it won't. Jesus said the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem would happen, and it did. Jesus said the world will end, he will return, the day of judgment will dawn, and it will. We may be absolutely sure of that. And number three, something should happen, and it can Namely, in the light of this truth that Christ shall return, we should trust in him and be saved. And we can trust in him and be saved because of the life that he lived and the death that he died and his resurrection from the dead. We can trust in Jesus and be saved. And trusting in Jesus and being saved, we can be truly ready for anything. We can be ready for life. We can be ready for death, we can be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, we're back in Mark's Gospel and uh, chapter 13. Uh, Looking at the end of the chapter, the closing verses, the passage uh, we read together a few moments ago, Mark 13 and the verses from 32 to 37. Mark 13, verses a 32 to a 37. And our theme this morning is what Jesus said about his return. So we were more general last time, what Jesus said about the future, but we're being more particular this time because these verses are more specific in their focus, what Jesus said about his 
return. And uh, three big points uh, from these few verses today. Number one, he's coming back. Number two, we don't know when. And number three, we must wake up and watch out. So, number one, he's coming back. Jesus speaks of that day and hour, verse 32. What day and hour? Well, the day and hour of his return. When the world shall end, when Christ shall return, and uh, when all those who have ever lived shall appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And Jesus uses a picture. In verse 34, he says, It is like a man going into a far country. Like someone who has gone away on a long trip. We might uh, picture uh, someone like uh, Lord Grantham from Downton Abbey. And he's going away on a, on a long trip. And the man, he, he leaves his house. He gives authority to his servants. They are each to be busying themselves in his absence. And the doorkeeper is to keep watch. But verse 35, Jesus says, the master of the house will return. In other words, our Lord Grantham figure, he has gone, but he hasn't gone forever. He has gone, but he is most certainly coming back. And Jesus is saying, that's just like him. He would go. We would say now, he has gone. We were thinking, weren't we, from the Apostles' Creed about how he ascended into heaven. Up, up and away through the clouds and into glory. He has gone. He has gone, but not forever. He is gone, but he's coming back. He will come again. And Jesus wants us to understand that this is where the whole world is heading. Indeed, we can't really understand our life in the present without reference to this great event in the future. We can't understand our life without reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has come and that he will come again. He came in the past to save, to live as you and I could never hope to live, to die the death we deserve, to die in our place, taking the punishment for our sin, and to rise again, having taken on sin and death and hell and roundly defeated them. He came in the past to save. He has gone for the time being to heaven. He is seated at his father's right hand. He rules and he reigns. He ever lives, the Bible tells us, to make intercession for his people. He has gone for the time being to heaven. 
But as surely as he came in the past to save, and he is gone for the time being to heaven, so he'll return in the future to judge. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the living and the dead shall all appear before him. And we must each of us give an account for all that we have ever been and for everything that we have ever done. This is the first point this morning. This is foundational to everything else. What Jesus said about his return, number one, he's coming back. Number two, we don't know when. We don't. Jesus says that in different ways three times in the few verses of our passage. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Beginning of verse 32. You do not know when the time is. End of verse 33. You do not know when the master of the house is coming. Verse 35. When he's returning. When he's coming back. Now it may be that some of you at least have a question about something that Jesus says in verse 32. Verse 32, Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now many people have had a question about that phrase, nor the Son. It's a fair question to ask. People ask the question along these lines. Isn't Jesus the Son of God? Isn't he one with the Father? How then can he not know? Surely if he is the Son of God, and the Bible teaches that he is, and if he is one with the Father, and the Bible teaches that he is, then people have this justifiable question as to why would he not know the day or the hour of his return? Let me do my best to explain. The first thing to say is that Father is not the best translation here. It's a very common translation. And it's a perfectly acceptable translation. But in some ways, it's not the best. Nor the Son, but only the Father. If we were to translate the original as literally as possible, it would be more like the fountain of deity. That doesn't read quite so well, does it? But nor, nor the Son, but only the fountain of deity. A deity. We could equally acceptably translate it God. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only a God. But you can see whether we translate it Father or whether we translate it God, neither is without its issues. The translation Father is, in a sense, too specific. 
It's speaking of the fountain of deity. It's not singling out the Father as a distinct person within the Trinity. So the translation Father is a little too specific. But at the same time, the translation God would arguably be a little bit too general. Because it would almost seem to put the Son up against God. God up against the Son. As if to say, well, Jesus is the Son, but there's God and Jesus isn't God. And we know, of course, that he is. I think the way we have to understand this is that part of Jesus' humiliation as he came from heaven to earth, And was willing to live on this earth and suffer for our sin. Part of his humiliation was that in his earthly life he only knew what the spirit revealed to him. So yes, Jesus was the son of God. He was the son of God in his mother's womb. And he was the son of God in Bethlehem's manger. And he was the son of God as he grew up in the carpenter's shop. But if I can use a rather... Everyday illustration. If you had gone up to young boy Jesus and asked him his times tables before he'd been taught his times tables, then he wouldn't have known the answer. He wasn't some kind of freak kid. If you'd asked him 12 12s before he'd been taught 12 12s, He wouldn't have been able to say 144. That was part of his humbling himself. To be a baby, to be a child, to be a man upon this earth. And yes, as the son of God. He knows the day, he knows the hour. Now in heaven, Christ knows the day, he knows the hour of his return. But when he was here upon the earth. He knew only that which the Spirit revealed to him. And it's clear from what he says that this day and this hour had not been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit during his earthly life. I hope that goes at least some way to answering that question if it was in your mind or on your heart. But what we do need to assert is that the focus of these verses, whilst that's a fair question to ask, the focus of these verses is not on what Jesus did or didn't know at this point in his earthly life about his return. The point in these verses is on the fact that we don't know when. We're told he's coming back, he tells us that. But we don't know when. He says we don't know the day. We don't know uh, the hour. Not more to the point we're not going to know the day. We're not going to know the hour. Until that day dawns. Until that hour comes. As Jesus puts it at the end of verse 35. It could be in the evening. He's speaking here about the return of the master of the house. But remember this is. Uh, parable type language that he's using here with reference to his own return it could be in the evening it could be at midnight it could be at the crowing of the rooster when the cock crows it could be in the morning in other words the point Jesus is making is it could be any time 
But he goes further elsewhere. For example, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25, he tells his famous parable, his story, of the wise and foolish bridesmaids. There's going to be a wedding, and there are ten bridesmaids. And five of them proved to be wise, and five of them proved to be foolish. Uh, and it's beyond our remit this morning to go into uh, all the whys and wherefores of that. Uh, I, I'm simply saying that as part of that parable, the, the bridegroom is, is delayed. Uh, and so the bridesma- bridesmaids uh, fall asleep. And then we're told, Jesus says, at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him at midnight. And again, that's not the best translation. Really, if we were to translate what's there in the original as literally as possible, it would be in the middle of the night. So you can understand why people get at midnight, but that's not really what it says. It's in the middle of the night. The point is, it's at an unexpected time. You know what it's like to be woken up with a bit of a start unexpectedly at about half two in the morning. It's not the best experience normally, is it? It's unexpected. You're not there lying in your bed thinking, well, I'll just stay awake because I think something, uh, something vital is going to happen at 2.30. That's, that's not how it works. And that's the point Jesus is making. Not just, you see, any time, we don't know when, but, but unexpected. We don't know when, we can't guess when, it'll be when least expected. That's the point Jesus is making in this passage and in other relevant passages. So we're thinking this morning about what Jesus said about his return. Are you still with me? He's coming back. We don't know when. So if he's coming back, and he is... And we don't know when, and we don't. What are we to do? Number three. We must wake up and watch out. We must wake up and watch out. Here are some of the things Jesus says in our passage. Verse 33. Take heed, watch, and pray. Verse 35 again. Watch. Verse 36, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And verse 37, what I say to you, I say to you all, watch. So you can see I'm not making this up. There it is in black and white in the passage. Wake up and watch out. They're related but they're distinct. Let's think about them in turn. First of all, wake up. I'm drawing this particularly from verse 36. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. You see, the danger, friends, is that you could be asleep when Jesus comes. And Jesus isn't talking here about him coming in the middle of the night and you literally being asleep and it being a a bit of a 2.30 a.m. job. No. He's talking about you being spiritually asleep. He's talking about you being asleep to the reality of his return, that he is coming back. He's talking about you being asleep 
to the reality that you are a sinner and have fallen short of the glory of God. He's talking about you being asleep to the reality that you need a saviour and that he is precisely the saviour that you need. He is talking about you being asleep to the reality that you need to trust in him before it is too late. And he's telling you, you need to wake up. If you're not yet a Christian here in the welcome hall this morning, you need to wake up. You need to wake up to these great realities of which Jesus speaks in our passage. Wake up to the fact that he is coming back, although we don't know when. Wake up to the fact that you are a sinner and that there's no way that you can get yourself right with God by your own efforts. Wake up to the fact that you need a saviour and that Jesus is the precise saviour you need. Only he is the son of God. Only he is the saviour of the world. Only he has lived a perfect life. Only he can die in your place and take away your sin. Only he has risen from the dead. Only he even now is seated at the right hand of the father on high ruling and reigning. Only he is able and willing to save you. But he is able, he can, and he is willing, he will, right here, right now, this morning. As you turn from your sin in repentance, as you turn to the Lord Jesus in faith, you can be saved right here, right now, today. (coughs) Don't be asleep. You need to wake up. But Jesus doesn't just talk about waking up. He also speaks in our passage about watching out. Watch out, he says. Three times, watch. We know whenever God's word says anything once, we should pay attention. If it says it's twice, it's of special significance. Three times, we really need to sit up straight and uh, find out what it is that, uh, that God's word is saying to us. And three times in our passage this morning, watch, watch, watch. In verse 33, the Lord Jesus links this watching to taking heed and to praying. What's he talking about here? Well, in broad brush terms, he's talking about once we've woken up, once we've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're real Christians, then we're to be those who watch out We are to be those who live in the light of this great future event. That Jesus will come again. This future event is to shape our present existence. We are to seek to be those who by God's grace and to his glory walk closely with Jesus, not at a distance, not keeping him at arm's length, but walking closely with Jesus and putting him first, not pursuing our own agenda and goals in life, but putting him first in everything. Specifically as Christians, we are not to be those who are being or doing that which would leave you ashamed on the day of Christ's return. 
but living as one, living as those who are longing to meet him, who just can't wait for him to come again and to see him and to be together with him for all the forevers of forever. So if you're not yet a Christian, wake up, don't sleep, wake up. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. And when you become a Christian, or if you are already a Christian, then watch out. Be looking and longing for the return of the Lord Jesus and living in every way to please and to honour him. So over these couple of messages, last time and this time, we've been thinking about the future in general, about Jesus' return in, in particular. Now, as you think about the future, we all have times when we think about the future, don't we? However much we may live in a day and in an age when most people are just thinking about the present, we all at times, we think about the future. Let me ask you, my friend, this morning, when you think about the future, what's your hope? I heard someone say this week, there are really only two kinds of hope when you boil them all down. There's false hope and there's true hope. Let me illustrate it this way. Is your kind of hope, as you think about the future, is your kind of hope the hope I had when I sat my exams or when I married my wife? Let me explain. You see, when it was examination day, as I walked into the hall, you might have said, what are you hoping for, Jeremy? And I'd say, well, I'm hoping it's all going to be okay. I'm hoping I'm going to do well. I'm hoping the result's going to be good. But it wasn't the best of hopes. Not most of the time, anyway. It was often a rather empty hope. And a rather vain hope. Because perhaps... I'm putting that in to make myself feel better because perhaps very often I hadn't done the study that I should have done and I hadn't done the revision that I should have done and I wasn't pre as prepared as I should have been and I was going into that exam with, with hope but it wasn't really much of a hope. But the day came when I was going to marry my wife and I woke up early in the hotel where we were staying. And I came down to breakfast. And then I got all my uh, glad rags on. Headed out towards the church. And as I went, I thought to myself, I hope she turns up. <laughs> and I'll be honest, maybe you think I was a bit naive, but I'll be honest, it never really entered my head that she wouldn't. I thought I knew her well enough. And we both loved one another enough that she'd definitely be turned I never said I hoped she'd be there on time. I knew her well enough to know that wouldn't happen. <laughs> but, but I did hope she'd turn up. And I knew she would. And of course, she did. You see the difference? False hope, the exams are going to be fine when you know in your gut they're not. True hope, she's going to turn up. 
She will. She did. When you think about the future, when you think about Jesus' return, what kind of hope have you got? Is it like me sitting my exams? Are you thinking, well, I'm not sure whether he's really coming back anyway. But if he is, well, I'm sure it'll all turn out all right on the night or on the day. And, you know, is that your kind of hope? I can show you my exam certificates. That kind of hope isn't much use. Or is this kind of your kind of hope? That you know this Jesus. And you love this Jesus. And more than that, you know that he loves you. And he said he's coming back. And you don't know when, but he's coming back. He is coming back. He will come back. And you're ready. And you're prepared. And you're looking. And you're longing. And you just can't wait. When you look to the future, friend. When you think about the return of Jesus Christ. What kind of hope have you got? Is it a false hope? Is it an empty hope? Or is it a true hope? A full hope? A wonderful hope? A glorious hope? He's coming back. We don't know when. We must wake up. And watch out. Amen.